0: Well, I have some irrational fears. I've had them for most of my life, but I can talk myself out of them. When I was younger, blankets. Not blankets themselves, but getting tied up and tangled up in a blanket and then not being able to breathe. My boys, they like to throw a blanket over our dog Daphne and then hold her in it. And I am like, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? Like my heart, like talking about it right now, my heart is racing. (sighs) I get panicky and I'm like, why are you doing this? Would you like it if somebody did that to you? And their response is like, I wouldn't care. Well, they probably wouldn't because that's probably not their fear. Walk-in closets. I love them because they hold all the things except that they're so small. So when I was younger, growing up, I had a walk-in closet, door was never closed. You could always see the mess in my closet. When Steve and I first got married, We shared a walk-in closet, door wide open. I would never go, who puts a door on a walk-in closet? Who goes in there and closes the door? Not me. We built a house, we have two walk-in closets, no doors. Save the money, why bother? They'd never be closed anyway. (laughs) By the way, the key to a good marriage, separate sinks, separate tubes of toothpaste, separate closets, and separate garage. Hers attached, his detached. <laughs> Mine heated, his maybe not. <laughs> well, it works for us. We do share one bedroom, and we do share one bed. Unless he's snoring, then I go on the couch. But he should actually. <laughs> he's not here, but I'm sure you're listening, honey, sorry. Not sorry, actually. <laughs> Another irrational fear that I have there's this little tunnel that connects Round Lake and Gull Lake, and recently I've gone through it a couple of times, and every time entering in, going through, I'm like, what if we're right in the middle and both ends of it just all of a sudden are locked up, like, can't get through? Dumb, right? <laughs> like, how would that even work? because I certainly wouldn't want to like, swim under whatever it is that blocked us in, because that would be confined space, too. Super irrational. I know it. The last time I went through <laughs> the tunnel going to Gull Lake, I was with friends from work. None of them knew that before we entered that tunnel, I had this flash of being stuck. Nobody knew, because I didn't tell them. And most of you think that probably these fears are irrational and we can laugh about it. I know they're irrational. But they're real to me, and you would never know them unless I told you. And now that I've told you, I realize that I've opened myself up for mock and ridicule from anybody and everybody. Fear is actually one of the biggest motivators. Fear motivates us more than anything else, I think. The Gentile Christians in Galatia, they were afraid. They were afraid of getting salvation wrong. Their fear allowed voices other than God to influence them. And in in this part of um, Luke's letter to them, he's telling them, come on, friends, it doesn't have to be this way. The way you're living, it doesn't have to be this way. So join me, we're in chapter five of Galatians, chapter five, verses one through six, and if you're in a blue Bible, it is on page 974. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision We're five chapters in, we only have one to go, and Paul finally gets to the crux of his letter and what he's arguing about, uh, arguing for in this letter. You have freedom in Christ, people. What are you doing? Paul starts his letter by, or his this section by contrasting two diametr- diametrically opposed ideas of what it looks like to live: living in freedom and living in slavery. He's emphatic. He says, look, some translations say, listen. Another one says, I am emphatic about this. He's not mincing words. He says, stand firm and do not be a slave to the law. Never let anything or anyone put any harness on you or connect you or tie you to slavery. Paul wants us to understand that they want them to understand that they already have freedom in Christ. It's not a freedom that necessarily allows them to do whatever they want to do without consequence, but a freedom that sets them free from what has enslaved them. The Galatians were living under the law, and he describes it as a yoke of slavery. So a yoke, if you um, are like agriculture, it's this vision, Two oxen are in a field, and they're going to do the work. They're going to plow the field, and they need two of them. So there's this beam, a wooden beam, that connects both oxen side by side. And the idea is that it distributes the load. It distributes the burden equally. So it's not more for one than the other. They're literally tied together. And that is what Paul is saying here. You are literally tied to the law. They are slaves to it. What about us? What enslaves us? What motivates our goals, our behaviors, our actions, our interactions with God and people? Maybe the word enslaved doesn't work for you. So let's consider a few other words that are opposed to freedom. What confines you? What has a hold on you? What has you trapped? What keeps you imprisoned? What holds you in bondage? I do think that we have to be really mindful about our reflections on freedom. It's easy to turn our thoughts of freedom into thoughts about what our rights are when we think about freedom of speech or freedom of religion, freedom of thought and freedom of choice. It's not about freedom to do whatever we want without consequence or freedom from being told what to do. This is about freedom from that which enslaves our mind, our bodies, and our souls. It's the things that keep us from being who God created us to be and from doing the things that God created us to do. Choosing to be a follower of Christ means that in him, we have freedom from whatever bondage keeps us from being all that we are created to be. Maybe you are a slave to addiction. Maybe you are a slave to work. Or maybe you're constantly trying to measure up to the world's standards of what it means to be good enough. For me, the bondage is always rooted in fear. Some fears have kept me from having fun with friends. I'm not really a thrill seeker. I tend to seek comfort, safety, not really going to put myself out there in danger's way. But the bigger issue with my fear is not measuring up to what others think I ought to be or what I ought to do. What fuels my fear is the fact that people have the freedom to have opinions, we have the freedom to judge each other, and we have the freedom to speak freely about our judgment. These are the things that make me afraid to do some of the things that God calls me to do. But freedom in Christ means that he has already determined that I am enough. I don't have to prove myself worthy of the world's respect by doing everything perfectly, by working a million hours or earning a million dollars. I don't have to be held back by fear of failing or disappointing people. So what does freedom have to do with circumcision? Paul has mentioned circumcision a few times already in his letter. It's all or nothing. Let's go back to verse 2. Look I, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accept, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Circumcision was not just a medical procedure or a ceremonial rite of passage. It was a theological symbol. It was the mark of somebody that followed a religion that equated salvation to the works of the obedience of the law. A side note, I was thinking about this. I find it interesting that circumcision was something um, that women in this context could not participate in for obvious reasons, and there wasn't an alternative for them, a symbol that they could have that would show that they were a follower of Yahweh. But freedom in Christ eliminated the need for circumcision, and he created a space for women to be viewed as equally significant recipients of the freedom that Christ bought with his life. So why was Paul so wound up about circumcision? These Gentile followers of Christ, when they chose to be circumcised, committed themselves to the law. It was a symbol saying that they were seeking salvation from the law or through the law which meant that they had to believe that Christ's life was insufficient for their salvation. Paul's telling them, and oh, by the way, if you're going to pick circumcision from the law and do that, you have to abide in all of the laws. You are now a slave to all of them. There's no picking and there's no choosing which ones that you want to follow and which ones you don't. It's all or nothing. If you choose to follow the law or some other set of religious rules, your freedom in Christ is squandered. You have made the grace and freedom bought by Christ's blood insignificant, insufficient, and inconsequential. Grace means that you cannot receive Christ acknowledging that you cannot save yourself and then be circumcised. Because that would suggest that you actually do think that you can save yourself. There's a choice to be made, a religion of the law or a religion of grace. You cannot have it both ways. It's all or nothing. One or the other. Paul's message feels a little bit like a message that maybe we would deliver as a parent, I know I have. Helping somebody to make a decision or determine um, which option is going to be better with something. And so you have these two different options that you're describing, this or that, and you know that one of them is not going to have the best outcome for this said person, but then they choose it anyway. And you're like, ah, you're killing me, come on! I've told you, this is what's going to happen here, this is what's going to happen here. Why on earth would you choose the one that is not going to end well for you? It's kind of like It's kind of like asking a fish how the water is. This is where sometimes as a mother, as a friend, I can get a little teed up and feisty. It can be really frustrating when people cannot see what is obvious to you. But again, it's like asking a fish how the water is. They can't see what they can't see when they're in it. And I'm often thinking, it doesn't have to be this way. John Stott said something interesting that struck me. He said, we do not work for salvation. We wait for it by faith. We do not work for salvation. We wait for it by faith. When we are justified through Jesus Christ, we trust through faith that our future in the kingdom of heaven awaits us. Waiting versus working. What does that actually look like? Waiting versus working. Paul tells us in verse, verses 5 and 6. He says, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The Christian life is not only a life of faith. It's also a life in the spirit. Circumcision was a mark of the religion of the law. A religion of grace means the presence of God is in us by the Spirit. We don't have to keep the law when we receive him. It's the presence of the Spirit that is the hallmark of the religion of grace. I said hallmark, and I am going to show you in a tremendous amount of restraint by not using a Hallmark movie reference to prove my point or show my thoughts. But I do want to point out that Hallmarking is something that started back in the fourth century AD. It was something that was done by government officials that would take precious metals and they would put a mark on them that would certify their origin and their um, quality. And so now we recognize hallmark as a distinguishing mark or a distinguishing characteristic of something. And so the Holy Spirit who dwells on in us is the hallmark. Christ in me and Christ through me. The hallmark of God's grace should be visible. In verse 6, Paul says, it is faith expressing itself in love. He said, faith working through love. We cannot prove that we are followers of Christ simply by wearing a symbol. Wearing a cross doesn't mean that we are following Christ. A cute little bumper sticker doesn't mean that you are going to drive like you love everybody on the road with you. Although I did see a clever bumper sticker, and I'm not a bumper sticker person, it said, do you follow Jesus this close? (laughs) That's brilliant. Like, I'm not a bumper sticker girl, but that one I maybe could do. Are you following Jesus this close? Good question. Attending church on a Sunday doesn't prove that you are going to love others like Jesus does at home, at work, or at school on Monday. When we stand firm in Christ, it is the spirit that guides us to live the life that God intends us to live. It is the spirit that urges us to see things the way God sees things. It is the spirit that pushes us to see people the way God sees people, created in his image. Ultimately, it is the spirit that will guide us to love the way God loves. A few days ago, a wise friend said to me, it's important that we ask ourselves how others experience us. Seems like a simple question, but I hadn't really given it much thought. How do others experience me? Am I loving and affirming or critical and judging? Am I open and transparent or closed off and unapproachable? Am I a non-anxious presence and at peace? Or am I wound tight and stressed out all the time? Am I helpful and willing to serve others? Or am I too busy and preoccupied with what I want to do? The hallmark of our Christian faith ought to be the spirit of Christ seen in us and experienced through us. Christ in me and Christ through me. Paul urged the Galatians, and he urges us in verse 1, stand firm in the freedom that we have through Christ, Do not submit to the yoke of slavery. The thing that enslaves us is most likely rooted in some fear. When we are slaves to fear, we allow other voices, voices other than God's, to speak way too loudly in our lives. And it doesn't have to be that way. Stand firm in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we are grateful that you have provided a way for us to experience your grace and your mercy through Jesus. And Lord, we struggle, we struggle to find freedom in him and through him. Lord, in the quietness of our hearts, would you show us what it is that keeps us from being all that you have intended us to be and keeps us from what you have intended us to do? Lord, would you keep us in the frame of mind, in that spirit, in that posture of Christ in me and Christ through me, so that you would ultimately be glorified and honored in us, and through us. Lord, as we interact with others, would you help us to ask, keep that question in the back of our minds, how do others experience me? Is the hallmark of your spirit present in me and experienced through me? Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of grace and freedom in Jesus. And we give you this and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please stay-